welcome to Interjection, Serious Information for the Curious Nation. I am your host, Corinne, and today I'm your only host because this is going to be the first of what we hope to be many mini-sodes. Mini-sodes on Interjection are going to be special episodes that are 20 minutes or shorter by each of us on our own. Um, these will be held off for days where we really can't get together because of our schedules. As many of you know, we're both professors, and this time of year is kind of a horror for both of us. Um, in addition to that, they'll probably be used when something terrible happens. So in this case, this week I spend more time without electricity than with electricity. I don't know if you saw it on the news, but... For a large chunk of the last week, uh, New York and some of Pennsylvania was without power, and unfortunately, I live on that border. So, thanks to my father, I had electricity, but it was a generator, and I didn't want to waste it on things like hobbies when I needed it for things like trying to do my dishes. Um, one of the downsides of living in the country is when you have a well, you need electricity to have water. Um, so I saved it for that. Um, so when something comes up like that, we're going to have a mini episode. And this week, the mini-sode is by me. I'm sure you'll hear some from Janet in the future. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about the Civil War. Um, more specifically, about how the Civil War, <laughs> yes, really was about slavery. So let's get to it. As you know, if you're not a new listener, Janet and I both really strive to try to be bipartisan, but of course, our politics are going to leak through. I work with minority students more than I work with majority students. In other words, I see very few white people during my day. I am an international educator. I teach English to people who want to learn English. And that means that over the course of the last 10 years or so, I've really had to learn a lot more about these struggles that they can face in America. And for that reason, I know a little bit more about some of the issues of the Civil War than your average bear. One of the major issues that comes up when we're talking about the Civil War is this idea that it wasn't really about slavery. The Constitution of the Confederate States itself pretty much disproves that all on its own, but today I'm going to give you some other arguments. Um, but let's start with that Constitution. So one of the major phrases from that Constitution is that in all such territory, the institution of Negro slavery, as it now exists in the Confederate States, shall be recognized and protected by Congress and by the territorial government. And the inhabitants of the several Confederate States and territories shall have the right to take such territory any slaves lawfully held by them in any of the states or territories of the Confederate States. So as you can see, built right into the actual argument uh, made by those states is the idea that it is okay to own a human being, specifically one who is not white. And there are other issues associated with this, but I want to be clear that this was a very important phrase in the Confederate Constitution, and it can't be ignored. One of the major arguments you hear is that the Confederate War was about states' rights. And in a way, this is true, but it's not true in the way that you often hear it. You often hear it in the way that the South was fighting to have states' rights. But 
In reality, the South was actually fighting to deny states' rights. On December 24th of 1860, delegates at South Carolina's secession convention adopted a declaration of the immediate causes which induce and justify the secession of South Carolina from the Federal Union. And if that's not a big enough mouthful for you, I don't know what it is. But most importantly, what that secession actually says is that an increasing hostility on the part of non-slaveholding states to the institution of slavery is a bit of an issue. And they protested that northern states had failed to fulfill their constitutional obligations by interfering with the return of fugitive slaves to bondage. In other words, it was slavery, not states' rights, that birthed the Civil War from South Carolina. Now, this is really important when you consider it in the point of states' rights, because what they're referring to is northern states' refusal to return runaway slaves. So basically, they're saying that the South should have the state's right to own slaves, but the North should not have the right to deny that ownership in its own states. This is an issue because, of course, that is saying my state rights are more important than your state rights. And that's not exactly an argument for state rights. That's an argument for federal rights, um, making federal rights a right to slavery. In addition, South Carolina was really, really mad that New York didn't allow slavery transit anymore. Um, in other words, South Carolina thought that New York should allow them to bring their slaves into the state of New York, and New York said, nah, bro. Um, specifically, what the issue with this was, of course, is that the um, Southern Nouveau rich really liked to come to the Hamptons, um, which is still a really popular place for the rich to, of course, vacation. And what that meant was that they could no longer bring their slave cook with them to New York to cook their meals for them. They had to hire somebody to do it for them. That kind of made them angry. They also objected to the fact that some New England states had decided to let black men vote and tolerated abolitionist societies. And according to South Carolina, those states shouldn't have the right to let their citizens assemble and speak freely about what they said threatened slavery. So in reality, South Carolina especially, who is responsible for a lot of this stuff, um, really was quite against states' rights unless they worked in their interests. One of the really interesting things that I found while I was doing my research this time around was actually a proclamation from Mississippi in its succession declaration, which was passed in January 9th of 1861. It specifically said, its labor supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important portion of the commerce of the earth. A blow to slavery is a blow at commerce and civilization. In other words, Mississippi's argument upon secession was that the cost of paying people to do work was a blow to the economy that should allow them to own people. So that's a little bit of an issue. Another big argument you hear is that taxes and tariffs were the issue, and this is also baloney. In fact, uh, tariffs couldn't be an issue in 1860 as they were at the lowest they had been since 1816. Uh, why would the Southerners complain about those tariffs? They were lower than they've been in most of their lifetimes. On top of that, uh, high tariffs had 
and remember this is by tariffs with quotation marks, had prompted the nullification controversy in 1831 to 1833. South Carolina demanded the right to nullify federal laws or secede in protest, and our new favorite president, President Andrew Jackson, threatened to beat them down. Um, in this case, it's really important for you to know that Andrew Jackson wasn't anti-slavery. In fact, by the end of Andrew Jackson's life, he owned 150 slaves and he did not free them. But he was very much for federal law. And in this case, he felt that states were in violation of it. No other state joined the movement and South Carolina actually backed down after a while. So this wasn't about taxes and tariffs. Another argument that you frequently hear is that most Southerners didn't own slaves, which is true, but it ignores something that's really important to the American people, and that's the American dream. And during this point in our culture, the American dream was to be those rich white plantation owners. Most white Southerners didn't own slaves, but they supported slavery, even the most poor, because someday they hope to reach those lofty heights as to own a human. Uh, it's part of the American dream in the South at that point is that they will be able to be those people someday, just like we dream that someday we'll be the lucky next Bill Gates. There was a really interesting um, quotation I found from a French political theorist, uh, whose name I'm going to butcher horribly because French is Janet's language, not mine. I read it, but I don't speak it, so I apologize thoroughly. Uh, Montesquieu observed in 1748 that it's impossible for us to support these creatures, enslaved Africans, to be men, because allowing them to be men, a suspicion would follow that we ourselves are not Christians. In other words, what our French political theorist is saying is that it would be very hard on the South, which to this state remains very much so of a religious persuasion, to admit that perhaps by owning humans instead of monsters or animals, they were in violation of their own religion. So it's really not in their best interest to accept the fact that slaves are humans and should not be owned. Another argument uh, that white Southerners made was a really good one, actually. It might be the best argument they made. Um, specifically, Georgia Supreme Court Justice Henry Benning um, was trying to persuade the Virginia legislator to leave the Union, and he predicted that a race war would happen if slavery was not protected. In fact, he said, the consequence will be that our men will be exterminated or expelled to wander as vagabonds over a hostile earth, and as for our women, their fate will be too horrible to contemplate even in fancy. In other words, his argument was that we have tortured, raped, and beaten these people for so long that if we free them, they will return the favor. Another argument that you often hear was that Lincoln supported slavery, or at the very least wasn't against it, and that is unfortunately simply false, but it's very easy to understand where that comes from. In an August 22, 1862 article to the New York Tribune, President Lincoln wrote a letter that said, if I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And that is the part that you generally hear. 
He also went on to say, and if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because I believe it helps to save the union. And what I forbear, I forbear because I do not believe it would help to save the union. In other words, Lincoln's argument was that above all things, his goal was to save the union. A year later, he would go on to change his mind and give the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, many people argue that the proclamation was, of course, warfare, and it was. Lincoln made it really hard for the South to keep people that they could use as fodder in their war by saying that they were free. But at the same time, Lincoln was an abolitionist, and it was very well known. In the same letter that is often quoted, he also goes on to say, I have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty, and I intend no modification of my office for a personal wish that all men everywhere could be free. So we know where Lincoln actually stood, and saying that he didn't plan to free people is eh, kind of dodgy at best. Um, it's an argument you could make, and it'll still kind of pass muster, but in the end, it doesn't really actually reflect the man. It reflects a propaganda. Um, finally, one of the very popular arguments that you continue to hear is that slavery was on its way out and it was going to die off. That is really false, actually. Um, of all of the statements you hear, that's probably the biggest one that has no data to support it. In fact, slavery was pretty healthy in the U.S. in 1860. That year, the South produced almost 75% of all U.S. exports. Slaves themselves were worth more than all the manufacturing companies and railroads in the nation. And to be scarier, Confederates were eyeing territorial expansion, specifically into Mexico and Cuba, where there are, of course, more people who are not white. They would have likely expanded slavery into Mexico and Cuba at that time. It's not that we don't have a history of slavery with those people. In fact, we continue to have that history. It is not uncommon in the U.S. to have people who entered the country as undocumented become slaves. And if you don't believe me, feel free to Google it. You'll find plenty of information. There. So on top of having 75% of exports and the Confederates looking at growth, you know, as a business model, it, it was a pretty good business model. We could get work without having to pay people. And in 1860, it was really growing more entrenched in the South. Unpaid labor makes really big profits, and the Southern elites were growing richer. And if Americans know nothing else, we know that rich people don't like to give their money away. In this case, what the argument is, is specifically that the rich people in the South didn't want to pay people to work for them. They preferred to own them and force them to work for them. Um, being able to, you know, beat them to death when they didn't. And that's a really big problem. Before I end today's mini so though, I really want to go back and explore the idea of people believing that it's okay to own people or that the color of their skin makes them better than other people. The idea that you can be Christian or many other religions and believe this is simply not in line with the religion itself. I think oftentimes it's easy to forget that 
Jesus, despite being depicted as such, was not white, um, was quite impossibly white, as the area was not European, but he was born in Bethlehem. Um, he was Aramaic, he was Arabic, he was brown, possibly mocha, depending on which particular Jewish race he had descended from. And saying that God made white people the best uh, would really be ignoring the fact that God made Jesus. It's a common thing that I hear from people is that they believe that the KKK and other white supremacist groups are Christians, but it is by biblical perspectives impossible to be a white supremacist and Christian. You are saying that God did not make man perfect. Specifically by saying that white is the best, you are saying that God did not make Jesus perfect. Whether you believe in God or not, the idea that a human is better based on the color of their skin and white is being perfect is genetically improbable considering we make up such a small part of the global population. White, if anything, is the genetic freak in all of this. So when you're looking at the Civil War, you're really looking at a great minority oppressing a great majority of human beings during that time period. And in all reality, they are quite lucky that none of the things they were worried about came to pass. The African Americans in the South did outnumber the white people to the point where they could have beaten them all to death and buried them right there on the plantation. The fact that they're alive today says a lot about the people coming out of slavery that we like to ignore in today's perspective. And I hope if you gained nothing else from today's mini-sode, you considered those issues. Thanks to everybody for joining me, and thanks to bensound.com for the use of our theme song, Little Idea. Today's references can be found on the Interjection blog at interjectionpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Interjection Podcast. If you liked us, please take the time to rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends about our show. And since Janet's not here, I'd like you to remember that curiosity did indeed kill the cat. Um, but just one, there's still tons of them out there.